0: Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go.
1: Welcome to the show. The show is Mike Walters, and I'm back with Thomas Harrington. We talked about the trade deadline. Uh, before it happened, obviously, and now we're going to kind of recap it. Thanks for coming back on the show, Thomas.
0: Happy to be here. Just call me the e-book for the podcast. <laughs>
1: That's right, yeah. Uh, Eddie's been a little bit busy, got a lot of things going on, so Thomas has been doing an, an excellent job filling in. He also does a great job covering the minor league stuff for the Ducks, uh, especially during the summertime and also the goals during the regular season. So we're going to kind of go back uh, to what Thomas and I talked about. Some things worked out. That, that we discussed and <laughs> some things didn't. So, um, let's talk about the trade deadline. There were some some moves. Um, we'll also talk about Verbeek uh, uh, and his Ducks migration event that I went to, uh, and talking about you know, the, uh, the deadline as well and the future of the Ducks. But let's let's get to the deadline, just get right to it. Uh, I, I guess the one thing that you and I discussed that we were happy about is that Henry Thrun did get traded he went to San Jose for a third round pick. You and I talked about in on the last show. We had hoped that we would get something instead of nothing. And uh, this one did work out, Thomas. I was extremely happy that Verbeek was able to to do something with him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I've, Henry Throne, I think, is a great prospect. I think he's been, you know, I've had the Ducks top 10 prospect for the last several years. I was disappointed when I heard he wasn't going to sign, but I also really appreciate that he did tell the Ducks, hey, I'm not going to sign with you. So he gave them a chance to uh, get some value for him still and getting a third round pick. I and mean, you take a fourth round pick and make it a third round pick. He'll take that every day of the week. And, you know, San has got a very good prospect. If they get him to sign, I think they are going to be very happy with him for the ducks. They got a third round pick in 2024 from a team. Like to be honest, the sharks next year, probably not going to be great. So that should not be, a, uh, that should be what the maybe in the mid sixties, maybe low seventies for a third round pick. That's pretty good. I'll take that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we were talking about it. You had talked about too on the last show that hey, they had to August to figure this out. They could have traded him, you know, after the deadline too. Um, We talked about maybe him being part of a deal that didn't happen, but they still traded him. They got a third round pick, like you said, uh, a step up from a fourth round pick. So I was extremely happy uh, for this. I felt like this was a win, and and then we. Um, talked about the defense we talked about uh, Klingberg uh, needing to be traded if that didn't happen it would have been a big L uh, for the Ducks we also talked about Kulikov and Shattenkirk and we predicted that Klingberg would be traded and then Kulikov or Shattenkirk and then it was Kulikov that went so we ended up you know we, we did okay there too as well what did you think about the Kulikov trade he went to Pittsburgh they got Brock McGinn they got a third-round pick in 2024, and then they had to retain uh, 50% of his salary. What What did you think about that deal, Thomas?
0: So, like we said at the time, the Ducks, they've been bad this year. Kulikov hasn't been great. He didn't have a lot of value, so getting a third-round pick from him I think is actually pretty good. Um, Pittsburgh was trying to get Abrock to salary. They had waived him, uh, I think it was the week before the deadline. No one claimed him, so they wanted to get rid of that contract. So it's not surprising that He was included in the deal. Um, You know, he's not a great player. Let's be honest. He's miscast on the ducks top line right now, even though he has scored a goal. Um, He's a useful player for your third and fourth line. And every team needs players like that. He signed for, you know, a relatively reasonable number, especially for a team that's not near the cap for the next couple of seasons. So hopefully he's a good player. Hopefully that third round pick works out. But here's the thing we got Kulikov for essentially free. So to me, even just a seventh-round pick for Kulikov is a win in my book, and we got substantially more than that. Yeah,
1: I think this deal worked out for both teams because, uh, like you mentioned, the Penguins had sent McGinn down looking to you know assign him to the AHL. They cleared cap space. That deal gets sent to uh, or you know, him and his contract gets sent to the Ducks. They bring in Kulikov um, to help their defense. Um, they only pay half of that. They give up a third-round pick. Uh, You know, it seemed to kind of even out. I know Verbeek was happy with McGinn He's it seems like his theme and and we'll get into a little bit later in the show But he's trying to get more players that go to the net um, a little bit more energy uh, in their game Um, With McGinn he's also a good penalty killer So, you know, it it seems like he kind of had his eye on this guy and he also made a deal too so, you know this trade I don't really know if anybody won or lost it. It's it's hard to say that. I know Thomas and I talk about that too when we when we post little articles and stuff when trades happen about, you know, a lot of people want to sign a grade or they want to say who won or lost. I don't know if anybody really won or lost this trade. Uh I I, I think it came out pretty even. They also got McGinn for two years as well, Thomas.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pretty fair trade both ways. It's not it's not a huge trade for either team. It's not gonna tip needles significantly, I think. You know, the pens got a little older. Um, a lot of people actually, a lot of fans on there. And I remember actually questioned this deal. Like, why are we getting Kulikov? We have so many defensemen. We don't need him, but Hey, the Ducks were able to do this. And that free agent forward, they got, sorry, free agent defenseman. They got a third round pick. I'm pretty happy with this Pittsburgh. They've got more depth through the playoffs on their back end. And that's never a bad thing. Um, you know, we've seen it. injuries happen. There was that one year, separate user for the Ducks where I think like, five maybe all six of the regulars were injured at some point early in the season so death is never a bad thing on the team's blue line
1: yeah absolutely and you know i mean it it seems pretty even like you said and we and we were able to get picks that was kind of something that uh verbeek was looking at too he ends up getting a pick with Thrun. he gets a pick with kulakov he then gets a pick with klingberg uh this trade with klingberg I don't know. This this one was kind of interesting. It went down to the wire, you know, a trade deadline. We, we knew the other moves were made. Uh, there were some you know, minor deals made with Chicago as well. And then finally, the Klingberg one came through. I I, I was almost laughing because I was thinking about Utah. I thought, oh my God, if they don't trade Klingberg, this is going to be a big, big L. Because we talked about it last show. And then it comes through. He goes to Minnesota. Uh, he gets, the Ducks get a fourth round pick in 2024. Schuster comes back. He's been with the Ducks a couple of times and they get the rights to Nikita, uh, Nestorinko. I don't know. This one, I had mixed feelings, you know, obviously in the beginning of the season, it was like, okay, we got Klingberg, you know, we're, we're going to get a first round pick and flip them at the draft or excuse me, at the trade deadline. Um, as the season went along, it was like, okay, well, maybe we'll get a second. And then it was like, okay, maybe we'll get a third. And then to see him go for a fourth, I was kind of frustrated. I mean, they did get other parts of this as well. Uh, Verbeek talked about this deal, and it was done in the finals, you know, two minutes before the buzzer, basically. You got that, he snuck that deal in there. Um, I don't know. This this one was a little bit frustrating. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it went through. But I almost wish they maybe would have got a third-round pick. Um you know, I don't think Schuster. You know, I, I don't know. Adding some more depth to Ducks' blue line, Drysdale's out, Ninen's out. Okay, but um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't know. This one just doesn't set 100 percent right with me, Thomas.
0: Yeah, it's. I was nothing disappointed when I first heard about this deal. the The fourth round pick is the real big disappointment. Like I said, we dreamed of a first round pick in the summer. Then that dream was a second. Was it maybe called a second round pick, even just one? leading up to the deadline it was like okay maybe a third we can get it, maybe a second and a third um so that fourth s- feels like settling but at the same time i just can't be surprised by it because Klingberg has been bad he did not work well for the ducks this season and he's supposed to be a power play specialist and he lost that spot to Ken fowler and i love fowler but no offense to him Klingberg should have been on the number one unit but fowler was better this year than he was he deserved that spot he earned that spot and Klingberg didn't just do just never anything to get that back. And if he's not in your power play, he's a liability defensively. And on a team that is everyone's liability defensively, he really stood out as being bad. So his value just decreased so much. I, I was hoping, you know, his offense had started to pick up um, in recent weeks. Maybe that would help increase the value. But I really get why no one wants to risk it. Like, if this was how bad Klingberg was coming to a new team, do you want to really risk that when he's going to come to another new team right before the playoffs? So I get why that value was so low to me. The big thing for the ducks is Nestoranko. He is a college player. He's going to be a free agent. Um, so the key to, is getting him signed. If the ducks can get him signed, this deal is not a win, but it's a potential win down the road. Um, the athletic recently graded everyone's uh, prospect pool in the NHL. And they said Minnesota was the best system period. Now, Nestoranko was not one of their top prospects. He wasn't even one of their uh, top 15 prospects. He was like the, he just, the cuff, he probably 60th or 17th best prospect. That's not great. But if you're, t- if you are the best prospect system and you're the 16th, 17th best prospect on a number of other teams, you're probably a, among their top 10 prospects. So this is not a throw in scrub. Who's never going to do anything. I mean, that could happen in terms of the NHL future, but he actually does have some skill. Um, get game signed, get him to the goals next year. Let's see what he does. And you know, if this deal really is just an AHL player and a fourth round pick with how Klingberg played this year, that was his value. So that's what we got.
1: Yeah. I, I, I was just a little frustrated. I, I felt like if they could have got at least a third out of it, I would have been a little bit happier. But I am curious to see about Nestorinko. Uh, it seems like Verbeek's big on him. Um, you know, he's had 73 points in 93 games in three years of Boston College. He had 11 goals last season in 32 games. Um, you know, size is decent. He's 6'2", 183 pounds. Again, that theme of, you know, he goes to the net. Uh, it seems like that's what uh, Verbeek wants is more, more, you know, size and people going to the net. Uh, the only knock on him I've seen is that he's more of a pass-first type player. Uh, but I'm I'm very curious uh, to see what happens with him and, and what happens. But, I mean, I, I am glad that a trade was made because I, I have to tell you, Thomas, when it got almost to noon Pacific time, I, I seriously almost text you. I'm like, man, they are not going to trade Klingberg. And, <laughs> and we had talked about it on the show before, and I'm like, man... If they don't do this, it's going to be a huge, huge you know, L for the Ducks. But I am glad they, they made it. What what did you think? I know you kind of touched on this. What did you think about how the Ducks managed him on ice? Um, you mentioned Fowler. He was more of the quarterback on the power play this year. Do you think there's anything the Ducks could have done differently with his, his on-ice time to maybe um, get him to be a higher pick at the trade deadline? Or, or what do you think?
0: I think they could... They could have tried putting him back onto the power play, you know, after Christmas, after the New Year type thing. Um, but you know, he hasn't been very good, so I I get why they didn't from a coaching perspective. And one thing I do appreciate about Rubicar, at least the impression I get from him, is he's going to let Aikens coach and not tell him what to do with his lineup. So I do appreciate that because that's the GM should not be doing that. But I also wish Aikens had played him a little more on the power play to try and up his value, but. Again, with how bad he's been this year, I get why he was on the second unit. Um, It's unfortunate. And the the coach's job is to win the game in front of them. The GM's job is to give the coach the best lineup he can, but then lets the coach do what he wants with the lineup. And if Klingberg was not playing good enough to be on the first power play unit or to be getting top pairing minutes or what have you, you then he's not playing good enough and the coach shouldn't put him in that situation. Um, Even though I wish Aikens would have just to try and bump his numbers up a little bit to try and get a third-round pick, but I I can't be mad at Verbeek for not interfering with the coach, and I can't be mad at the coach for trying to win the games with the best lineup he thinks is possible.
1: Yeah, that's a good point you bring up, and I'll talk about that a little bit more uh, when I talk about when Verbeek did the Q&A with Niedemeyer. He kind of talked about that, and I thought it was interesting, but I'll kind of hold that off. Um, just real quick, just to remind everybody, we're part of the Old City Sports Network. One of our sponsors is uh, Norse Beards. Uh, go to Norsebeards.com for our grooming needs and enter the code OCS for a 25% discount. So the Ducks made these these trades. These were kind of the, the bigger ones, if, if you'll say. I mean, they didn't make like a huge trade, um, you know, but these were the ones that we had talked about. Thomas and I went over the last show and we were like, hey, these are the ones that they should try to do. They also did make some some smaller trades. Uh, they did a lot of stuff with Chicago and their AHL team. Uh, maybe surprising, I, I don't know, but they ended up sending Austin Strand to Chicago for Chase Perinsky, uh, Maxim Golod uh, for Dylan Sakura, and then Grimaldi and Nyhoff uh, for future considerations, which is Eddie's favorite player. But. Um, what did you think about all these trades? It, it seemed like the kind of reoccurring theme for Ber, for Berbeek was getting guys with more offensive upside. Um, but what did you think? You, you know, you, you definitely cover the the goals and the prospects much better than I do. Uh, what was your take on some of these moves with Chicago?
0: So first the Strand prisky one, it surprised me. Um, you know lots of minor leagues deals like this happen he's actually, so he's only put one game for the goals and he had two goals. And I think including the game winner in overtime. So Persky's early return, pretty good. I'll take it. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, but I'm kind of, uh, neutral on that deal. I would say, uh, the goal for, Sikora, for, for the goal for Sakura. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want not say Sakura because of Peter back in the day. Right. Um, I, I actually like that deal a lot. Um, because gold was signed as a undrafted free agent a few years ago. And, he has spent since then more time in the ECHL than the AHL. Um, he's actually pretty good in the ECHL. I think about a point per game player this year, but just n- doing nothing in the AHL. So you're actually getting a player who can score at the AHL level. And even has a couple of NHL games under his belt, I it's a very small, a very minor deal, but I actually really like that move. Um, again, it's not one that's going to tip the needle, but you're getting a, a better player, frankly, um, for a worse one in my mind. So that move, I actually like, um, the Grimaldi deal, you know, he was signed to an AHL only contract, so the Ducks technically had no control over him, same with Nyhoff. And, you know, I'm gonna miss Grimaldi. He has been far and away the goals' best forward this year. Um, he is, I would argue, their second best player overall overall behind only Dostal. And he's an exciting player to watch. Uh, in a season of awful for the goals, he was one of the reasons to watch their games. He was a lot of fun to watch. I'm gonna miss him. I, I really think he deserves an NHL contract next season. I hope someone gives it to him. Uh, I, I would be very happy if the ducks if I don't think it's gonna be, but I, I hope I think he's earned the NHL deal. Um he's uh, among the top scorers in the AHL this season. Um he was just he was a lot of fun to watch and I will miss that. But he's also going to a team that has a shot at the playoffs, unlike the goals, so I'm glad he's gonna get that chance.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think uh Perinsky and Sakura, you know, they're they can add a little bit more for the Ducks uh, Offensively like you talked about I, I am kind of bummed about Grimaldi he Seemed like a fan favorite um, You know, they even had his wife singing the National Anthem At a goals game I was a little surprised about that and then, I, and then I cracked up when I saw future considerations Because you and I talked about it before the show And it's it's like It's one of the few things in the NHL That <laughs> I feel like not really defined that well It can be you know any kind of picks or anything there's no real time limit to it it it, (laughs) i don't know it's just kind of funny and i and i know eddie cracks up with with the whole future considerations thing so i'm not gonna lie i was a little bit bummed to see him go the other ones you know kind of make sense um as you talked about they're not going to push the needle um so to speak but um you know Verbeek ended up making some of these trades uh with chicago uh and, and so there were some more little deals like that but The overall feeling, it seemed like to me, a lot of people were really not happy with the trade deadline. Um, They felt like other things could have been done. You and I talked about possibly Comtois being traded. We talked about Grant. We talked about Henrique on the last show, as far as the forwards. Uh, In the goalie situation, we talked about Gibson. We talked about Stolarz. And, And part of this is we found out after the trade deadline, um, that there were significant injuries and you and I did touch on those on the last show and, and of course We didn't know the extent of these, but we found out that Stolarz is gone for the rest of the season uh, Vodka Ninen had hip surgery. He is gone for five to six months and then Henrik as well as out He was injured. I want to say February 21st was the date that they said uh, Five or six weeks. So I mean that takes you almost to the end of the season anyways so I, that was a factor, unfortunately. I think in the trade deadline and why some stuff didn't come to fruition, like we talked about. The Ducks made the moves defensively that we thought they would. They did not make them uh, on the forward and the and in net, like we thought maybe they would have done. Um, so to me, I, I I get the frustration from the fans, and I was a little frustrated too, but. I mean, these injuries definitely played a factor uh, in limiting what Verbi could do at the trade deadline, uh, Thomas.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I feel bad for Solars. Like, he's out for the season. He's missed a ton of time this year. Who knows what he's going to get for next year. Um, I, I hope he finds a backup job somewhere. Um, probably won't be with the Ducks, but we'll see what happens this summer. Uh, Henry, there was that m- a memo that went out to NHL teams Um, Right before the deadline, that said something like, you know, they're going to really scrutinize deals of trades for injured players, so you can't just reactivate them as soon as the playoffs start to avoid the cap. And I think that might be one of the reasons why Henrik wasn't moved, because if he's back as the playoffs start, you know, you're going to get a very good player for this playoff run and then next year as well. But if the NHL is going to say no to that deal because he's going to be injured until that point, well, that kind of kills any interest in a possible deal that he might have had. So that was that injury was unfortunate on just so many levels. Yeah, actually, th- go, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I also think the other issue for the Ducks was the Klingberg deal taking so long and being done at eleven fifty eight a.m. I feel like because Verbeek was focused on that so much, she couldn't do other things. Because, like, I'm actually, I won't say I'm happy, but I'm given the value of the players traded, I'm relatively satisfied with the return. But what I wanted to see was. Rabiq be the, um, a third-party destination in a, a large trade to get an extra pick or to take back a bad contract to get an extra pick. And he, he tried that last year with the Donov when uh, what turned out we were on his no-trade list, so that didn't work. I wanted more trades like that. And unfortunately, I think because the Klingberg thing went down to the wire and took so much time and effort is why he wasn't in on other things. But the good news to me is he actually still did get Klingberg traded. This wasn't a situation in Philadelphia where they tried to trade J- JVR and it didn't materialize. When you're a team who's not going to make the playoffs, you have a good um, player who will be a free agent this summer. You really need to get a return. Now, the Ducks have some free agents who they weren't, who didn't trade. Grant is one, but again, like we talked about, he's missed so much time this year. He essentially had no market value, and it's more value for the Ducks to keep him to help them through the rest of the season. Philadelphia really should trade JVR, even if it's just a fifth round pick. It still is some value, so at least that didn't happen for the Ducks with Klingberg and with Kulikov. They did get value, they weren't stuck just holding them after the fact. So, satisfied ish, I think is the best way to put it. But I, the thing that I'm most upset with is what didn't happen, what they could have done if that didn't take so long to get done.
1: Yeah, it's a good point that you bring up. I mean, he, he said, uh, Verbeek talked about spending you know an hour on the phone. With Minnesota haggling, uh, you know, trying to get the Klingberg deal done and it did get done obviously and and like you said You know it it happened and that was a thing that you and I said was a must but you're right He spent all that time from you know must have been around 11 o'clock to almost noon Pacific Doing that and he could have missed out on some other stuff and I'm with you too. I think Part of the issue was you know, trying to trade Grant. I don't know what kind of value there was there. It was probably very, very low, 6th, 7th round pick, so he probably said, screw it, I don't want to do that. Uh, Comtois, too, uh, maybe not really a high value for him as well, so he couldn't do anything. Um, and, and I forgot about that. You brought up a good point about that memo they put out, which I thought was interesting. I don't remember the league ever putting out something about trading for injured players before the trade nope. deadline.
0: I mean, Tampa's done it. Chicago's done it. A lot of teams have done it to help win the cup or get very close to the cup. So it felt very weird to did it this year. And I, I don't think that's the only reason why Henrik wasn't traded, but I do think it impacted the market for him. And if there's not market, there's no reason to trade him this year because we still have him for next season. And, you know, for Comtra, he is a restricted free agent. So the ducks didn't have to move him. Now, the question then becomes The summer is, do they qualify him and then try and trade him? Or, like Sam Steele, do they not give him a qualifying offer and he leaves as a free agent? Um, we'll see what happens. I'm kind of hoping Comtois is a strong end to the regular season, so we do qualify him and then trade him at the uh, draft or later in the summer.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good point, too. You're right. He is an RFA. So, the, I mean, there there is some things that can happen with him as well. And, and yeah, I, I think that, that that memo did affect the whole situation with Henrique and some of the other players as well. And you also touched about the, uh, you know, being a third team broker. You and I did talk about that on the show before the trade deadline. The Ducks did that with Del Zotto earlier in the season. I was kind of curious to see if they were gonna do that here uh, You know, we, we talked about Thrun maybe being one of those in there um, They ended up getting him like we said uh, straight up to San Jose for you know, the third round pick So that worked out, but there wasn't any of that as well. The Ducks didn't take on any contracts um, You know uh, that were that had a you know, a lot of weight to their cap hit in return for some picks or anything like that. So I was a little surprised about that. I, I, I felt maybe Verbeek missed out a little bit there, Thomas.
0: Yeah, I, that's my biggest issue with the Delonais. Not who they traded or what they could back, but just what they what Verbeek wasn't able to do. Now, is that because he couldn't find the right deal or because he was tied with Klingberg or was it another reason that we don't know about? I don't know, but I feel like that was, I don't want to say a failure, but that was the biggest missed opportunity. Like We weren't going to go off Klingberg or Kulikov but missing out on a free third-round pick for retaining salary in another deal, that's what uh, is unfortunate.
1: Yeah, that, that, I felt that was a missed opportunity. Well, then, you know, after uh, the dust settled on the trade deadline, the uh, the Ducks had their Orange Alliance event where they had Scott Niedermayer and Verbeek talk about the trade deadline and other things. They had uh, Brian Hayward there as well, and I got to attend. Um, so we'll kind of break that down. I did write an article on it, that summarizes a lot of what happened um, in the article when you go back to look at it it's it's pretty much in chronological order I, I, I put in there hey you know this is what they talked about and, and like kind of went through here for the show I kind of broke it down into three groups kind of want to talk about the trade deadline because that's what Thomas and I started the show with um, the current state of the team and then the future outlook so um, we had Adam T-Town on Instagram asking, you know, like, what are we doing as a team? Well, that's what Rubik talked about um, at this event. He talked about going after more draft picks, and he did achieve that. He, he got three more draft picks uh, in those deals with Thrun, Kulikov, and Klingberg. Um, that was his strategy. Uh, and, and it seemed like, uh, like I said, a reoccurring theme to uh, was trying to get back players that would go to the net or provide, you know, in, he said, quote, energy uh, in the lineup. So he, he liked what McGinn had. He liked what Rinko had. Um, he talked about Schuster bringing him back just because the Ducks were kind of hurting on the blue line with Kulikov and Klingberg being sent out, which Thomas, you and I did talk about that on the last show. We, we said, well, they got to bring somebody back because they're going to send these guys out. So that was part of it too as well. And, um, he also talked about Klingberg and said that he was trying to push himself a lot in the beginning of the season. And that's maybe why he didn't do as well as we thought he would have. But overall is his strategy for the trade deadline. I liked his strategy. Um, like I said, I didn't love, I didn't love what happened to that deadline. I didn't hate it. I, I-, I thought it was kind of the middle of the road, uh, Thomas.
0: Yeah, it, he. He got what value he could for what the Ducks had, but there were definitely missed opportunities there. And it's also unfortunate he couldn't get more picks for this year's draft. But, you know, he does have three second round picks this year already. So getting some stuff in 2023 isn't the worst in the world. Sorry, in 2024 isn't the worst thing in the world. And again, especially for San Jose, they're not going to be a great team. So I'll take their third round pick. Be very happy with that.
1: The other big part of this I thought was very, very interesting uh, was Gibson. He talked about this at the event um you know hayward asked him straight up like hey were you thinking about trading gibson and he's like no i wasn't thinking about trading gibson and then he really stressed the importance of having a number one goalie he said it's hard to you know to find one and to keep one and then if you move one you have to have another one ready to go he talked about his time in tampa trying to get a number one goalie got vasileski Uh, And all that the direct quote I put actually in the article. I'm not gonna read the whole thing It's actually it's actually kind of long, but it's in there. You can read it Um, I thought that was kind of the bombshell of the uh, the interview because you had Elliot Freeman go on Duckstream. He was like, "Oh yeah, I think the Ducks are, you know, could, could be in the market to move Gibson." You had him on his 32 Thoughts podcast saying, "Oh, the Ducks and Gibson are ready to move." There was all this like smoke and all this stuff about Gibson. I mean, we'd heard about this all before when Murray was a GM and then nothing happened. Now, Verbeek's the, the GM and he addressed this directly and I, I was kind of surprised. I I mean, to hear him say that, though even though he made that comment I I still think it doesn't shut the door on a trade, Thomas, because maybe Dossel's not ready yet. Uh, I don't know. There's still some games left in the season. Maybe he gives him more time. And he thinks he's ready then. Maybe he has Gibson back next season and Dossel's the backup, and then and then trades him next year. So he wasn't going to trade him at this deadline, but it doesn't mean that he won't trade him in the future.
0: Yeah, I I agree with Verbeek. It's you want to keep that first round. That not the first, you want to keep your starting goaltender uh if you trade him you need to have one way in the wings and is dostal that starting goaltender I, I certainly like to think so i hope so but he if he is he's not there yet certainly and i i don't think he'll be there at the start of next season so to me what would have been the ideal thing to do is last summer trade solar's let also be the backup this entire season let's give let's really see what he's like in the nhl that's not not happen but with solace being injured he will be with the ducks the rest of the way he's gonna get what seven eight games more maybe depending on exactly how the splits work so th- that's a nice uh taste of the nhl for him next year i fully expect him to be the backup if he's not the backup to gibson i will be very very surprised Um, If he's not, that means either the Ducks have made a very surprising move or Kelly Kling has come into camp and just been phenomenal. Um, And I don't think that's going to happen. I I think Dostal will be the backup next year to Gibson. And I think depending on how Dostal plays... Um, maybe the Ducks look to move Gibson at the deadline, but I think next summer is it's much more likely. I think summer 2024, maybe the draft in 2024, is the time is the first time I think that it makes sense to move Gibson if Dostal has progressed enough throughout next season. So it really depends on how Dostal does next year. We have to see.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And we had a, a question from Johan Lewis that you know he asked, "What will the Ducks do with Gibson? They keep him this season?" Um, yeah, I, I think that. You're right. I mean, they're gonna keep him. I I think even through the summertime. It doesn't make any sense right now because um, Like you said, Dostel may get seven or eight games. We've got like what 16 17 games left something like that So if he gets an even split um, But you're right if he's not like considered uh, number one material uh, The only exception to this and you and I did talk about this before we recorded is if you trade Gibson to a team that you're going to get a number one goalie back in return. Some kind of, you know, blockbuster deal like that. I mean, otherwise, if you're going to trade Gibson and and get a bunch of players and a bunch of picks and everything like that and and no goalie in return, then you're going to have to figure out uh, what are you going to do and then you have Stolarz who's hurt, um, he's done it. You know, he's done for the season. Do they bring him back? We don't know I, I think ideally you have uh, Dostal be the backup to Gibson next season Have Gibson mentor him if he gets to where Verbeek is comfortable with him taking over then that's when you pull the trigger um, Like I said, I, I think the only exception Thomas is if somehow a number one goalie is, you know, Gibson for another no, You know number one comes some kind of you know big deal. I don't know if that happens, but I From what Verbeek is saying and when I saw there in him talking, that's the feeling I
0: got. Yeah, I agree. I also think there's one other exception to train Gibson is if you can get Chicago or Columbus's first round pick. You trade Gibson in that case also. But that's not going to happen, <laughs> you know. But that is a
1: good point. I mean, you you know, I, I didn't even think about that. We didn't talk about that. That that is a good point. I mean, if the ducks the ducks have been winning games now, uh, uh, you know, more so than losing uh, lately. Um, you know, they they've you know they've not been playing great, but they've been winning more games, getting more points, moving a little bit up uh, from the bottom. Not a whole lot, but but you're right. If the ducks say the ducks end up fourth or fifth. You know from the bottom or whatnot then um do they really want bedard or is there someone else Uh, you know maybe maybe there is some kind of something that could happen there so that's another thing to watch that's an interesting point you bring up that hey where do the ducks end up at the end of the season if they're not in you know in that top three um could that happen i mean (laughs) i i don't think it would like you said i i think those teams would hang on to their picks but I I, I don't know. (laughs) Summer
0: could be crazy. Something to think about, Thomas. Yeah, it'd be shocking if it did. I'd be so happy if it did. No offense to Gibson, but at this point, young offensive talent is what the Ducks need. And there are four prospects in this draft who, in any given year, would probably be first overall. But because all four are in the same draft, only one gets to be, and that's going to be Bedard. But then the other three, Carlson, Fantilli, and Mitchkoff, they'll be two, three, four in some order. And if you can get one of those players, you're going to be very, very happy in June.
1: Yeah, exactly. And 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 that's, uh, I'll, I'll kind of skip one part. I, I guess that's what uh, Verbeek did talk about in the draft, too. You know, they asked him, like, what he thought about the picks. And he's like, hey, there's, you know, the potential to have three great top picks. Um, they can help the team as well. Uh, maybe even a few after that. So, uh, that kind of goes towards the notion of hey, th- like you said, any one of these guys would be a number one, maybe in a draft that isn't as fully loaded. So that's another thing to consider too. Is maybe, maybe you hang on, maybe if you know if they're second or third, I think they hang on and you know get that pick as well. So interesting times, uh, you know, to see what will happen. Um, I thought I did like talking about the state of the team now. I did like Verbeek's thoughts. Uh, he was asked straight up. Hayward said, hey, you know, um, rebuilds take five to six years. Uh, Verbeek said they were a few years into it. He said, you know, you have to re, you know, remain patient. Um, but he wasn't really happy with, with the overall performance of the team. He thought that they would have a better record. He didn't like their, quote, compete level early in the season. Um, but uh, he, he does like what he's seen as of lately. Um, so I, I think that's a fair assessment of the team. I think that's an honest assessment and it's refreshing to hear that Thomas.
0: Yeah. Like before that season, I did not expect the Ducks to expect the playoffs, but I did not expect them to be in the running for Bedard. I thought it'd be like last year, um, you know, finish with a 10th worst record, maybe a little better than that, hopefully a little better than that, but the wheels just fell off immediately and they've only slightly recovered Relatively recently, but obviously far too late to have any hope of this season. But yeah, just I, I thought they would be not so much better than they had been, but I thought they would be better than they have shown this year. And you know, sometimes that happens, sometimes it's just a team is bad when they shouldn't be, and sometimes a team is really good when they shouldn't be. That's that's sports for you, right? Just expect the unexpected.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think at the beginning of the season, we We didn't think that they were gonna be a playoff team you know we knew it was gonna be a rough year but (laughs) we didn't think it was gonna be this rough I mean it's really if you're a Ducks fan um, uh, yeah it's just it's been a tough season you're you're really suffering uh, with the way stuff has gone um you know we've had obviously that last great goal by zegras between the legs oh yeah we, you know something else that was yeah fantastic of course it was on espn again <laughs> just like the the goal um or i should say the pass uh to milano uh, against buffalo also on espn so You've seen stuff like that this season you've seen troy terry uh tear it up uh, you know and, and doing well not scoring as much but he, you know he's still been playing well uh, mctavish as well um so there's things that there there are positives from the season but you're right i i knew it wasn't going to be a playoff year um but man I, I didn't think that they would be in the running for the top pick either um i think you hit the nail on the head there so that's where verbeek was not happy and i think He's right. The big thing was the compete level. It felt like, you know, after a certain point the season, that losing was okay almost. And and I know that that's not what the players feel. But it just seems like it, they got in some ruts there where, hey, you know, oh, we lost again tonight. Okay, you know, on to the next one, you know, and, and, and whatnot. Um, not that they accepted losing, but it, it, it just felt like maybe the passion wasn't there as much. I don't know. That's just that's just kind of my read once we got kind of halfway through the season, Thomas.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to get up for a game in, you know, February against a another bad team when you're a bad team, right? So I get it, um, but yeah, hopefully they're better next year. Hopefully it starts turning around.
1: Now, this was also another part that was interesting. He talked about the coaching staff. Um, He was hit up about that at the event, and he said he wasn't going to make a decision on any of the coaches uh, until the 82-game season had been um, completed. Then he would go through and evaluate all the coaching staff. Uh, You know, a lot of people during the season had asked for Dallas Aikens to be removed, to bring in someone else, which I still never thought that that was the right move, just because if you remove him just to remove him... Then what's the point? I mean, if you, if you had someone you knew that was going to be your long term guy and you wanted to bring him in, maybe I could see it. But but what did you think about Akins um, and how he did the season? Do you think Verbeek um, waiting till the season's over? Do you think that's that's a good call or not? What, what's your take on that?
0: I think for Akins, well, first I want to say, I, as a human being, I really like Akins a lot. Um, but as a coach in the NHL, he's lacking. In the AHL, he's actually a very good coach. He was great with the goals, and that's actually why I was initially excited when the Ducks hired, brought him up to the NHL. I thought, you know, he might not be a great choice or a perfect choice, but he's he's put the time in with San Diego that he's earned this chance. Unfortunately, that chance has obviously not gone very well in his time here. I think if you were going to fire Aikens and try and turn things around – it's one of two things. It's either early in the season to try and turn the season around and get things back on track. That didn't happen. Or like you said, you've got someone in mind who you want to come in and you know what, if you really do have someone in mind who you want right now, you may as well let them come in now and start putting the system in place. So it's a little easier for next year's returning players to be used to it. So the fact that Rubik is not going to, do that tells me he doesn't have someone he desperately wants right now, or if there is someone he really wants, maybe they're an assistant somewhere else and therefore can't get them until the off season at the earliest. So I, I think since he was, Aikens wasn't fired in the first month or two of the season, I'm perfectly fine having him right out uh, the rest of the year. And like we said, I don't think the last time I was on, but the time before, you know, he's done a good job with Tavish, Terry and Zegers, And that's the most important thing for the ducks right now is, are your young players improving overall? And he's pretty good with them. As long as their game didn't just, you know, go in the toilet completely. I felt, Akins was going to be safe in the role. And have they progressed exponentially every single game? Obviously not. That doesn't happen on hockey with pretty much anyone. But has their game improved from last season to this season? Overall, I think the answer is yes. So I'm okay with Akins doing that because staying in, because he is helping those three players improve. Uh, the, the thing that really sucks is Drysol's not getting that uh, this year. So we'll see what happens with him. But at least for McTavish, Terry, and Zegers, I think we have seen improvement from them. So keeping Akins makes sense, especially at this point in the year. Firing someone 10, 15 games less than the season makes no sense unless they have done something awful, frankly, um, that is not related to what's going on on the ice, uh, or they ask to be let go. I, those, Other than that, it doesn't make sense to trade someone right now, unless you're Lillian Morello, who does that every now and then because he's kind of weird. But for because not Lamorello as far as I know,
1: nice point Um, yeah I'm with you I mean he's going to ride out the rest of the season and uh, you know he touched on McTavish, Terry and Zegris Burbeek did talk about them and the strides that they made this season he had some interesting points he talked about McTavish taking big steps um, thought he improved uh, defensively uh, you know thinks he can only get better being so young. Uh, he likes what he's seen in Terry as well He th- he thinks uh, a concern with Terry is being able to go up against the top defenseman of another team. So he thinks that uh, It was interesting a lot of the the, the discussion even Niedermeyer too, at this event They were talking about the gym getting the players in the gym uh, lifting the weights and strength and conditioning um, Conditioning I get it but a, a lot of emphasis on this, you know strength of the players at This uh, season ticket holder event. It was I just thought that was key and he was saying that same thing with uh, Zegras, you know great on offense, but he needs to work on his defensive game So he was talking about these guys and, and going up, you know, it, these guys are the core. They're the future of the team but um, They're gonna have to work on a few things because they're gonna go up against the best players uh, defensively of all the other teams because I mean, it's no secret now, right? Everybody knows about Zegers. Everybody knows about Terry and McTavish. There's there's nothing, you know, you're not going to uh, sneak sneak them in, in into a game and surprise anybody. They know that these guys can score. They know that these guys can make moves. And, um, yeah, I just thought it was very interesting. He was talking about strength. That was a big thing he wanted to see uh, with his guys. And then he also said that... He would be looking at their contracts in the offseason he didn't want to worry about it during the season that includes drysdale as well as you mentioned unfortunately um you know was not able to play most of the season he also mentioned drysdale talking about how he will uh, be ready in three or four weeks but uh, you know maybe he's at practice maybe he doesn't play the rest of the season i mean you know we're, we're here in like the final month or so uh, of the season so i don't know that we'll see him as well but um interesting thoughts there a uh, very very big emphasis on the fact that they're going to have to go up against the best defensemen against other teams uh moving forward thomas
0: yeah i you if you're going to take on victor hedman you have to be strong enough to take on victor hedman so I, I get it and for a lot of these players you know Zegers is still what 21 22 mctavish just turned 20 mm-hmm. like these are these are kids still practically yes like god they think me feel so old <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i get it they Especially like, you know, for Zegers coming through the college right now, in his one season of NCAA hockey, he played 30-something games at Boston. Playing 70, 80 games in the NHL is a huge step up from playing 30 games of college hockey. So just, you know, there's such a different mindset to that. So these they do need to get stronger, I agree. And that's what the offseason is for. Hopefully they will come back to training camp, not with like 30 pounds more muscle because they're going to be a lot slower, but, you know five 10 15 pounds more muscle just be that much stronger that much able to take care of themselves hold on to the puck when they're going against the victor headbands of the world
1: yeah and and the good news too this was something else that was brought up uh during this event which i thought was interesting was uh verbeek talked about when he interviewed for the position he talked to the owner's about uh, spending money uh, up to the cap, which obviously there's some stuff that's gotta get figured out at the end of the season. We've got some UFAs, we've got some RFAs, we got things that gotta get figured out. The Ducks are well below it, but it was interesting that he asked the Samuelis, like, hey, if I need to spend up to the cap, is that okay? And they said, yes. So I was like, oh, okay, that's kinda cool because that's been one criticism that a lot of people have had of the Ducks is that we we don't recently seem to spend up to the cap. So uh, I'm curious to see how the rebuild goes if we're a couple years into it, right? Um, you know, we got to get these guys figured out for these contracts. Obviously, some of them are, you know, uh, McTavish, Terry Zegers, Drysdale should get some decent deals and then have some room for some other players and whatnot. I'm very, very curious to see um, what happens, you know, next season um, after these deals are all ironed out, where the cap space is at, and whatnot, and to see where they go. But I was happy to hear that uh, that the owners are giving him. Um, you know that leeway because it, it's I, you know not to criticize Murray but it, it, it just seemed like he was always penny pinching you know we used to laugh about the the bar uh bargain bin uh you know deals that Bob would make and all that kind of stuff like that so I, I thought that was a little interesting nugget that was brought up during this Thomas because to me it makes me hopeful that maybe there will be a big splash or something in the next maybe year or so
0: yeah you, you want to be able to spend to the cap but When it makes sense, like this year for the Ducks, it doesn't make sense to spend the cap because we knew they were going to be bad. Right. The do you know who is the second highest cap hit in the league right now? No. Montreal. (laughs) Montreal is one of the worst teams in the league now. Part of that is because Carey Price is making I think it's ten and a half million, and he's obviously not playing. Unfortunately, so they've got some big money players who are injured. That's one of the reasons why it's so high. But you don't want to be in a position where you're bad and have a really, really high cap hit. If you have that cap hit, you want to be Vegas, Edmonton, Tampa. You want to be going for the cup, or at least in the playoff conversation. Yes. That's not Montreal this year. Again, injuries happen, and that can change that significantly. But I'm I'm happy that the Ducks will spend the cap when they need to. And, you know, they were used with Burke, they were used with Murray, where they would spend maybe not exactly to the cap but get relatively close to it when they felt they had a chance and then other years when they it didn't make sense they wouldn't do it and i think that's the the right way to do business because if you spend the cap every year at some point things get really bad and that's when you usually have to do the rebuild that's what's happened to the ducks they were too close to the cap they didn't have a lot of flexibility on their contracts and they weren't good enough and they kind of had to wait some of those bad contracts out and you know, that's why one of the reasons why Verbeek traded Lindholm last year. He did offer Lindholm a contract, I think it was five years. Lindholm didn't want that. He wanted the eight year deal. And you know what, Hampus Lindholm, good for you that you got that in Boston. But I miss him a lot. A part of me is happy he, Verbeek didn't sign Lindholm to eight years because if you're when you sign a player who's in their late twenties or early thirties to that eight year deal, that can really trap you. Um, if their play goes down, you know, five, six, seven years into it, that can really hamper a team. I hate to say it, we saw it with Perry. His last couple years weren't very good, and that's why Murray ended up buying him out. If Perry's contract had been for five or six years rather than eight years, then that issue probably doesn't happen because his decline matches when his contract ends rather than being um, still paid so much uh, for a few more seasons. So I'm glad that Rubik is going to be allowed to to, to, um, spend the cap, but I also think he's going to be smart and not just throw out eight-year deals left and right the way some teams do because that's how you're gonna that's how you get into trouble with the cap um if you want to give an eight-year deal to zegers and terry so you guys absolutely terry a little leery because he's on the wrong half 25 but i would get us but just don't be giving an eight-year deal to some like say ryan strome five-year deal even that's a little long but for a free agent five years is actually not too bad
1: yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm not a big fan of the the long term deals like you were talking about the seven, eight year deals. You know, like like you said, if it's someone that's a 20 year old, 21 year old that's Zegers, then of course. Uh, but you know, when you have those guys in the late 20s, early 30s, it makes me nervous. And I and I'm with you. And that was a sticking point with Lindholm. You're exactly right. That's why that didn't uh, work out. So I, I and I do think, like you said, I think for Beak, even though he can spin to it, he's going to be wise about it. And yes, it did not make sense this season to go up to it next year. We'll see. Maybe depends on how all the, you know, what happens in the summer, how the deals all iron out and whatnot. But I am glad that at least, at least he has, you know, options basically. And the owners are giving that to him. So that's a positive sign. Um, uh, one other thing that I thought was interesting too in this um, Q&A session was about tanking. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was funny because Brian Hayward brought it up and asked for a beak straight up about the draft, about getting a high pick. And he even mentioned, you know, <laughs> it was kind of funny because he kind of hesitated. He he, he kind of, under his breath, was like, you know, I don't want to talk about losing on purpose, but, and it came up, and, and I thought it was very, very interesting because... Verbeek, as I talked about before, was talking about the top three picks, how they all helped this team and everything. And I, and I thought it was interesting. I, I like his mindset. He, he said, quote, we are here to win. So are the players. It's their careers. They're fighting for jobs. And I don't want to take that away from them. So, um, he was, and, he, and he also alluded to that with the coaches as well. So I was glad to hear that. I know a lot of people on social media, you might not be happy with all your tanking gifts and, and <laughs> whatnot. But... Um, You know, I thought that was a key. Alexis Downey, I interviewed her, and she talked about that too as well. If you didn't hear that podcast, um, it's a couple shows back, and she said the same thing. So I think part of the rebuild that maybe we don't talk about, we're always like, oh, let's trade this player. Let's spin up to the cap. Let's get this guy or that guy. But another part of it is the mindset. And from what I saw at that event, I like Verbeek's mindset. He wants these guys working out, you know, focusing on their game, um, getting better. Uh, You know, he doesn't want them worrying about, okay, you know, let's get a high draft pick. Um, You know, I I don't know. I just felt like overall from this whole thing that his attitude is a culture of trying to make the players better and and bring in a culture of winning. Obviously this season it didn't happen, but we're in a rebuild. We're in the second or third year. I am really curious to see what happens next year. You know, maybe we're, we're not a contending team. Maybe we don't make the playoffs next year either. But uh, I want to see how much that we improve next year. And then the year after that is where I'm really key to see what happens, um, Thomas.
0: Yeah, I, I like that quote from Rubik a lot because we, as fans, we can kind of step back and a player's career, it's their career. But to us, it's just, you know, what can you do for my team? And if you want your team to be bad to tank, you don't want them to do so well. But this is their livelihood, and there are some, let's say Conor McDavid, for example, he's going to make so much money, he's never going to have to worry about money the rest of his life. But for most teams that are bad, it's not filled with players like Conor McDavid. It's filled with players who are making league minimum, a little more than league minimum, which, granted, that's more than I'm ever going to make in my entire life in a year. But a lot of their careers aren't necessarily incredibly long careers. They're in the NHL for three, four, or five years. And after that, they've got to figure out what to do next. Hopefully, invest their money wisely. Some do, some don't. So, oh. I really like that Rubika because essentially looking after the players and saying, hey, I'm not going to make things worse for them. And, but, on the other hand, this is the only year I'm kind of... like I hate tanking. I am against tanking. Because of the number of players who would be first overall in any other year, this is the one year where I'm like, okay, I'm kind of on, on board with tanking. <laughs> to me... Bedard is not the goal you can the getting the first overall pick cannot be the goal because you've got a I think it's a one in four chance approximately if you finish last overall those are terrible odds Bedard for the first overall pick cannot be the goal that's the hope but in a draft like this if you want to say the a top four pick is the goal I'm okay with that but only in a year like this most years are not like this Last year, I don't want to tank. The year before, I don't want to tank. Um, the year before, I don't want to tank. Only because there are four such studs this season. I'm like, okay, if we tank, we tank. Like you know, We have all know how good Bedard is. If you watch the World Juniors, he was just dominant. Um, Fantilli is putting together one of the best freshman seasons uh, ever. Um, Carlson in the SHL, I don't follow him as closely, but to my understanding, he's putting together one of the best U18 seasons in a very long time. And then Mitchkoff in Russia, um, I've seen him compared to Kucherov. Uh, I've seen him called the best Russian prospect since Ovechkin. I mean, if you, if you can get any of those players, you are very, very happy. So, Bedard, first overall pick, that's not the goal, that's the hope. A top four pick for one of these players though, that to me really is the goal in a year like this. But, at the same time, this is about the player's career, the place who are on the ice right now. And the worse they are, the harder it's going to be for some of them. Like, Let's t- take a look at Derek Grant. Next year, is he going to be the NHL? I don't know if he will because this season's gone miserably for him, especially because of how much time he's missed. Like someone might not offer him a contract. Maybe he's in the AHL for significantly less money. Maybe he goes overseas to continue his career. Maybe he's in the Ducks because that is his happy place. It seems like, but you know, him finding a job next year is going to be that much harder because of how bad things went for him this year. If the Ducks actually play. Not 500 hockey because they'd be better than they have been this season. But you know, if they played a little better this year, Grant put up some better numbers, then there's no question he's going to get a deal this summer. But it's the players like him who were biggest talking about, we saying, you know, it's their careers. He wants to make sure that they still have a chance this summer to keep playing uh, if they want to.
1: No, you make some good points there. Um, I think uh, the big thing in there that you talked about is, you know, the whole thing about tanking. You and I are in the same boat. Like, you know, you don't want to lose. You don't, you know, on purpose and and whatnot. And yes, the last couple seasons, you really didn't want to tank. But you do look at this season, and Verbeek did talk about in this uh, event that hey, you got four or five, you know, uh, the top picks there that are are going to be players that are going to help a team out, anyways. So hey, if we finish. You know, in that group that you're fine. And another thing, too, you brought up uh, another thing that people forget, too, is just because you finish worst in the league doesn't guarantee you the first pick. It it is. It's like a one in four, one in five chance. It's something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's not an automatic. So even though you're you're the worst, doesn't mean you get the first, um, you know, pick. So that's another thing to consider um, as well. Uh, with this team, but um, I think the other part of this equation too is defensively. Um, we'll kind of wrap up the show here. We have a, a, a couple questions about this, and we'll finish it off. But um, for this team, and a lot of people harp on this because they've talked about Dostal and that they talked about Stolarz, Gibson, and the defense has not been there. They did touch on Zellwinger, meant to and Hines uh, for the Ducks next year. They said Lacombe uh, is going to uh, you know come to the Anaheim after he's done with college this year. Um, and it kind of leads to a question of Tim Coffin. He asked, you know, what guys may be brought up to the AHL? You know, I don't know if anybody's going to be brought up, but as far as next season, I think this is something that we should look forward forward to thomas i don't know if any of these guys are going to be a regular starter in the team but if you do want to take away a positive from this you look at the ducks um you know um draft picks uh, and, and and players coming up in the pipeline defensively um i mean the ducks are loaded with talent which kind of goes back to maybe why Thrun also didn't sign with the ducks because he maybe saw this and was like, man, it's a crowded blue line coming up for the the, uh, the Ducks from the Miners." I mean, what what do you think about those guys? you think we may see some of those guys next season?
0: So I, I think you're right about Thron. I think he looked at it and said, okay, there's a lot of competition. Let's see where else I can go. I think he was one of the better ones, not the best. I think Zellweger and Mijakov are a step above everyone else in the NIM system. Uh, but after them, I think Thron had an argument to be the third or fourth best defensive prospect. But the gap was not large, I would say. You know, Heinz has had a great season. Lacombe has been very good. He's been, uh, I believe, he's been nominated for the Hoppy Baker this year. So I'm very excited to see what they're going to do next year. Next year, Zeljegger will—he's turning pro. There's no question of that. I think he's gonna—we will see him in the NHL with the Ducks. We're also going to see him with the goals because. Most young players, but defensemen especially, need a little time in the AHL. Uh, Hines is also turning pro. Uh, He's definitely going to start with the goals before getting shot with the Ducks. Um, Lacombe, like Verbeek said, he will be with the Ducks this year to finish things out. We'll see how he does in that time. Uh, I think next year, it's kind of like Troy Terry, where he signed with the Ducks when his college career was over. He played a few games to end the season, and then the season after that, he... Um, was in both the AHL and NHL. So I think that's going to happen to come next year as well. We're going to see him in both places. Minjikov is the interesting one for me. So I can't figure out exactly why, but I've um, seen people saying that he is actually AHL el- eligible next year, but his birthday is not until I think November. And he's only played three seasons of junior hockey um, in Canada. And I think to be eligible for the AHL, you have to be um, either already 20 or played four seasons of of junior hockey. So I'm, maybe they're counting his season of Russian junior hockey in that is why he's eligible. Um, but if he is, I would love to see him with the goals. Um, he and Zillberger are, they both look fantastic. If Benchikov is not eligible for San Diego, I do think he will make his NHL debut at the start of the season and then get that eight or nine game tryout before the Ducks decide exactly what to do with him. It was back to juniors or stay with them uh, or, or maybe is NHL eligible and I'm just misreading the rules and I can't figure it out right now. Uh, we'll see what happens with that, but uh, both of them, I'm very excited for. Um, I'm excited for all four of these players to see what they can do next year. Also in San Diego, even though he's had a great season, we do have Drew Hellison, who we got from Colorado last year, but no one's had a great season in San Diego, so that's not saying much. He's still an exciting player to watch, and unlike all the players I just missed, I, I just listed, he's also a right-handed shooter, so he's someone else to uh, keep an eye on. Uh, I think we'll see most of them at some point next year. I don't know how much uh, this year. I thought we'd see Hellison. I thought we'd see Perot. I thought we'd see Tracy. I thought we'd see grew and none of them have been here. So th- this season's gone. Uh, not as expected in terms of uh, age or call up. So it's hard to guess for next year, but I do think we'll see most of them at some point with the ducks.
1: Yeah. I mean, exactly. The season hasn't gone according to plan. So <laughs> trying to see any of these guys towards the end, it, it, it kind of seems like they're going to try and ride it out and figure it out um justin stevens asked about you know what are the D pairings look like for next season i think it's a really really hard question because the ducks blue line is the biggest question mark for uh this team really in my opinion you have fowler that's signed obviously for a couple more seasons you have colton white um that's coming back in there and then you've got uh, vodka nine as well and then after that it's like a free-for-all you know they still got to figure out what they're going to do with shattenkirk you've got bull you you've got harrington as well um they've got to figure this stuff out um, so you don't. I mean, and obviously Drysdale will be back. So it's tough to look at the the Ducks blue line next season, pr- predict what it is. I, I would like to to think that Vaknin would come back and Benoit as well, and, and, and you know maybe have Benoit, and Drysdale, 9 and Shattenkirk were together, and then Fowler and somebody. I You know, I don't know. I, I it's just it's just tough. And like you said, you've got those other guys in the rules. I'm not 100 percent on all those rules either. They confuse me. I usually defer to you <laughs> when when I ask about the minor league stuff because I know you you tend to know it better than I do. But um, that's the one thing that I, I think we're we'll really tech next season. You know, if they if they don't bring back Stolars, they ride uh, with Dostal and Gibson in net um you know what what is that blue line gonna look like and i i, I don't i think it's too early to tell i i, I really can't say because there's so many players that um we don't even know if they're coming back next season thomas
0: yeah most of the ducks blue line right now it's it's not good i mean honestly looking at this blue line these I, cam fowler he's one of his players he's at this point in his career i think a second pairing player he's miscast on the ducks top Top line or top pairing, but there's no one else to be there. Everyone else to me, though, the Ducks have who is healthy, so I'm not including Drysdale, are a third pairing player, like Shattenkirk's a third pairing player, or they're that seventh defenseman or should be in the AHL even. So the Ducks' event is just frankly not very good. It needs to be completely overhauled, and I think they should start this summer. You know, Fowler will be back. If they want to bring back Shattenkirk as a veteran presence, as a 6th D-man great fine if they want Bellu Bily- or white as that seventh eighth guy or even the call from san diego fine if they want benoit for that role or harrington for that role fine with any of that but you can't have all of them come back you need to rework the defense and to do that you've got to make either trades uh, or free agency and this summer's defensive free agency crop it's not great but there are a couple of players who are really interesting to me um i ideally the one i would actually want is matt dumba he hasn't been great at minnesota the last couple of years but you know he's a right hand shooting defenseman he can play over 20 minutes a night you get him your second pairing that's going to help a lot i feel like because the ducks have a lot of left-pairing defense they need right handers so i think dumba would be a good one but he's also one of the few on the market so he's going to be in demand you know we're obviously not going to bring back king klingberg that Experiment did not work, unfortunately. Um, looking at the free agency list, you know Eric Johnson, he's 35 right now. I think that's too old to even think about. um Shane Gosselin can play left or right, so he's one they could consider bringing in. David Severson, and then the next one on the list is Kevin Chapman Kirk. So there's not a ton in the free agency market, so that's why I think Dumba makes a lot of sense. That or a trade, I feel like, or you have players who usually play on the left hand side playing on the right hand side, and some can do that really well. Uh, I think actually, the uh, calm. If I'm correct,ly he's a left hand. Uh, he plays on the left side, but he can play right as well. So that uh, that ability to play both sides can really help him uh, going forward. Um, but yeah, the the free agency is not great, but I, I think they have to get at least one, if not two, free agency free agent defensemen uh, this summer.
1: Yeah, you made a good point there i mean if you look at fowler and drysdale the drop off after that is actually pretty huge i mean you know you're you're looking at those two guys and then you got harrington white boyu benoit baka ninen shattenkirk schuster i mean these are guys that you know you're talking about fifth sixth seventh maybe even eighth you know defensive mini these aren't guys that are going to be top four uh, Material and you're right. You can't bring them all back. So I, I think going into this summer I mean, obviously we'll finish out the season see how the Ducks do we know they're not gonna make the playoffs Obviously, they're gonna try and uh, you know be somewhere in the high draft pick area And then the goal I think it is trying to improve the blue line in the summer and then, um, like you said, you know, m- maybe there's a deal for Gibson somewhere in there. If, if it's another first, you know, first round pick that they're trying to get, if they, if they, if they actually play really well during, you know, the rest of the season or, or maybe there's another number one goalie they're trying to get out there or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's what the Ducks got to look for is, is somehow improving the blue line because n- no matter if it's Dole Stoll or Gibson Stahl or whoever's in net, it doesn't matter. Uh, you and me in net. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. It's going to be rough. I.
0: Verbeek last year a year ago he started trading away defensemen and then over the summer he really only other than klingberg really brought in forwards he did bring in kulkov as well but i feel like it's the forwards he's done a better job within the defense and the the two defensemen he's brought in kulkov and klingberg neither worked out granted kulkov we didn't expect a ton from klingberg had the big expectations didn't work his forwards They've been uh, Vitrano, Strom. They haven't been great, but they've been better. And also, I think less was expected of them. Like, to me, neither was supposed to be that top player the way Klingberg was supposed to be. They're more complementary scores. Like, I, I think Vitrano, he shouldn't be on the second line. He's a great third-line winger. Strom should be on the second line. Who could play, play on the top line as needed, but really should be on that second line. So I think I, I like who he brought up forward. Let's see what he can bring in for defense this summer, and hopefully they work out better than Klingberg and Kukov did last year.
1: All right, um, that'll that'll wrap it up. Uh, some great points that you brought up on this show We you know, we covered the trade deadline before we covered it after now Um, we'll ride out the rest of the season. Uh, probably Uh, I don't know if we'll do another show before the end of season We'll definitely have one, you know when it when it does end we'll figure that all out Um, but in the meantime, uh, you know, thank you for your support Um, check us out on ducksandpucks.com. We're also on patreon.com slash ducksandpucks and uh As always, let's go Ducks!